All right, man. Thank Thanks, you, Rodney. Appreciate you. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's fascinating. Um, speaking of our Bryles, th- th- there's no chance AM goes after our Bryles, right? No, but have you uh, have you seen the, the the texts that have come out today? I've seen the story. I haven't had a chance to read it yet because I want to really sit down and and have a chance to read these texts. But it sounds like par for the course for what we could have expected. Yeah, yeah. I, I went and scrolled through some of the text in the story. It was a lot of words, and I'm not good at reading good. <laughs> So I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, I'm also a millennial, so like if it's if it's more than like 280 characters, then I'm gonna have a Top, tough bottom time. left to right. Put words <laughs> yeah. together as a sentence. That's hard for me, but uh, Tylenol no, for any headaches might offer any cramps. No kidding. Yeah, it was pretty damning. I mean, not unexpected with what we had known about Art Bryles and McCall and the whole situation at Baylor, but. Uh, yeah, no, it's not good. I mean, you've got Bryles in there. You've got Phil Bennett in there. You've got McCall in there. You've got a couple of other higher-ups at Baylor in there. And it's just, uh, yeah, what you would expect. Just uh, a lot of damning text basically showing that Baylor did not give a damn about these victims. They just wanted to do whatever they possibly could to keep their football team intact and keep winning games. I still think Gen Pop would view this situation. Trey and I talked about this a few weeks ago. Gen Pop would view this situation completely different. Not completely different, but uh, there wouldn't be the the blackballing of Art Bryles that we've seen if he had just come out and said, you know what, this is a horrible thing that happened. Uh, whether I knew about it or not is irrelevant. I'm the head football coach. This is my program, and this shouldn't have happened, and I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. How how different would his would Art Bryles' life be and would life be for guys on that staff if he had just said that? You're right. No, he wouldn't have had to coach in Canada and Italy and Mount Vernon High School and every other random job that he's taken since uh, he got let go there. Yeah, somebody else would have given him another chance. You see it all the time. You see it with players. You see it with coaches. Guys get second chances in yeah. sports. Uh, but there are certain you know unforgivable crimes that you can commit. And Art Bryles allowing that, basically enabling that at Baylor for as long as he did, that's pretty unforgivable. And that's why he hasn't gotten the opportunity to get any high major job since then. You know, like, and as we've seen some of his assistant coaches that have been able to get jobs, but we heard Sark talking about this yesterday. You know, when, when there's a coaching change, everybody looks at the head coach and the buyout money. Nobody really thinks about, you know, the guy in the recruiting department making, and Sark didn't say this, but this is what he's talking about. You're not thinking about the guy in the recruiting department making 35 grand a year that's got a wife and two kids and now suddenly doesn't know where the next paycheck's coming from. Mm. You know, the, some of those assistant coaches on that Bryle staff are fine, but I, I talked to one guy who was a, a lower level staffer, you know, kind of your GA, QA analyst type level who tried to get a college job after that. And he's like, dude, I work for Baylor. He's like, nobody will touch me. Wow. And he had to go back to coaching high school. He had to go coach high school sports and hasn't gotten back into the college game because yeah. of that stigma attached to him with the Baylor thing. Like that's, that's the kind of stuff you don't you don't take into account. But man, just there's been the lack of accountability, BK, as much as as much as what happened itself is a tragedy and it's awful and it's horrible and something like that should never happen, nor should it be condoned in any way. The lack of accountability is every bit as disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And the fact that uh, a lot of the people involved have daughters of their own and just didn't care about that at all. Right. I mean, wives, daughters, mothers, sisters, just women in their lives 
uh, who you would think mean a lot to them. Uh, the fact that it was just, nah, the hell with them. We got to keep winning football games. I mean, it is possible to win football games and also have a good culture, too. You know, like it's, think, it's just like the Penn State thing, right? Like, dude, yeah. I know Joe Paterno has won a lot of games, but if you knew that was happening in your building and you didn't do anything about it, I'm sorry, man. That's when you have the conversation now about Joe Paterno, you you have to have that the Jerry Sandusky conversation, too. Yeah, you're right. That's part of the story, man. That's part of the story, and it should be. Uh, the head coach is always going to be held accountable for what goes on with its program, but when you have as much evidence as we do with Art Bryles and with Joe Paterno about how much those guys knew about what was going on, then uh, they absolutely should be uh, held accountable for for what went on. So that, that's why that's why part of me is uh, I'm I'm pleased with the way the death of Bob Knight was covered mm. because people could have just not touched the you know all the controversial stuff that bob knight said and you know some of that went in our group text and we're like i'm like where i i dropped one i'm like yeah he actually said that at one point in time um but like people are like well, what's bob knight's legacy yeah people talked about the the national championships and you know the, the pro players he turned out in the hall of famers but to whether it's jeff goodman or anybody else like it's complicated because you have to talk about the coach and the genius that he was, whether it's how he coached defense or the motion offense or whatever. But you also have to talk about the guy that headbutted players and, and allegedly choked a player and was a bully and, and all the other stuff. So it's it's a complicated legacy, just like it's going to be for anybody. And, and that's how that's how it should be covered. And it's it, it's it sucks if you were a player at Baylor that did not partake in that, that just thought you were going to Baylor to play for a, a good coach and win football games. Yeah. I mean, most people who played at Baylor were not involved in that at all. Yeah. And forget not just not being involved. Most players who went through Baylor during that time probably had no idea this stuff was going on. Yeah. Right. And I they mean, just, just like all kind of held accountable for it. And they're all just associated with it forever because they were there at that time. Right. Glenn, I'm I'm pretty sure that was not the exact Tom Herman quote, but that's uh, I'll give you I'll give you an A for effort. Uh, <laughs> Winning and having morals is hard. Yeah, uh, for some for some apparently it is, but you know it's just like not you know not everybody back in the day during the death penalty, not everybody at SMU took money. You know, right? Mo right. Mo no, most guys did, but not everybody did. You know, so it's I don't know, man. It's the mm. it's just it's just sad. No, no, there are no winners, man. There are no there there nobody nobody saved face in this Baylor thing. Nobody came out quote unquote better for it. It 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 hurt a lot of people. It ruined lives. It ruined careers. And the fact that nobody stood up and been accountable for it is is pretty disgusting. Yeah, still to this day. So I heard you and Rodney talking about the. Um, Odds for who's going to be Jimbo Fisher's replacement at Texas A&M. Uh, Art Bryles is not on the list. Urban no. Meyer is, is on that list, though. I'll, I'll pull this up right now. I don't know if you guys already did this or you've seen no, it. No, I've, I've seen it, but we didn't pull it up. Yeah, that's... Uh... Yeah, Urban Meyer's on there at 20 to 1. There are a bunch of names ahead of him on this list. Lane Kiffin is the current Vegas favorite to be Jimbo's replacement in Aggieland, but... Uh, it's just, it, it's a question of how desperate Texas A&M is, right? Like, are, are I, they desperate enough to go down the Urban Meyer well this time? I want, I want Lane Kiffin to get that job just because I need the Texas, Texas A&M rivalry to come back. 
and I needed to be Sark versus Joey Freshwater. I just I need I need that college football needs that BK. We all need oh. that. Aren't those guys kind of friends too? They all they're great friends. Yeah. But I just you know there's like if you're if you're Texas A and M, people 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 dislike A and M for different reasons than they dislike Texas. People dislike Texas because people are like, oh, it's it's the arrogance, it's it's whatever you know, whatever you want to accuse Texas of being, it's the elitist attitude. But people don't like A and M because it's like, dude, you don't belong. You're a mediocre mediocre program, and you act like you know you belong. Dude, if A and M if A and M just wants to get behind a coach assistant to help them go full heel turn and give a middle finger to college football, dude, who better to hire than Joey Freshwater? There's nobody better. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That would be awesome. It might be time for him to find a new crop of co-eds, too. You know, he's probably ran through enough of them in Oxford. Now he's got to try the hey. college station girls, you know? See, like a dude like James Franklin, like, you know, yeah. I love me some James Franklin, but dude, James Franklin at this point, he's, uh, James Franklin is Mark Richt. I go back and look at Mark Richt's tenure at Georgia. Yeah. Mark Richt wasn't terrible by any stretch, but he Mark Richt wasn't elite. That's a great I think, comp. Great I, think that's comp. James, I think that's what James Franklin is, man. James Franklin's a good coach. I like him personally. He's just not elite, man. Yeah, Rick couldn't get over the Florida hump for a while. And then once Alabama kind of got it going with Nick Saban, Rick couldn't beat them. And yeah. he had some good teams, had some good players, sent a bunch of dudes off to the NFL. And, you know, Georgia was fine. It's not like they were like doing what A&M has done in recent years, They're five and seven, but uh, yeah, just couldn't win the big games, and well, I, I think Penn State would love for A and M to hire James Franklin Dude, right b- now. Before I, me? yeah, before I go, BK, yeah. if I'm looking at this list, like I know Jeff Trailer is is a name, like Trailer makes sense. Uh, we talked about Mike Elko makes sense. Dan Lanning, Liz ties to the South. Kiffin, just because I want to, I just want to see what that looks like. If A and M just wants to go hire the best football coach they can, dude, they'll. They'll give Kalen DeBoer the moon because that dude, that dude produced winning football when he was the OC at Indiana. Mm-hmm. That dude won at Fresno. That dude's got Washington in the CFP mix. Kalen DeBoer is a winning, damn good football coach. Yep. He would scare and, me. Yeah. He would scare me. But yeah. again, like we said, whatever you think the conventional right decision is that AM is going to make, whatever the opposite of that is, that's what they're probably going to end up doing. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. Yeah, Kalen DeBoer's done a tremendous, tremendous job. Like, I kind of envy programs that can turn things around as quickly as Washington has, you know. And obviously getting a really good transfer in Michael Penix Jr. helps expedite that process. And, hell, you can talk about Dan Lanning in Oregon, and it's kind of the same thing. But Washington, I mean, what a mess that Kalen DeBoer walked into, right? Like, they thought they had their guy in Jimmy Lake, you know, to replace Chris Peterson. And ah, he's just going to pick up exactly where they left off. And Washington's going to continue to be really, really good. I mean, Jimmy Lake is, you know, all sorts of bad stories about him and what he's doing to his players. And the team completely fell apart. And he yeah. got fired after one year. And all of a sudden, Kalen DeBoer gets there. And in year one, they win 11 games. I mean, Texas, like, you know, Sark is maybe going to win 11. We hope he wins 11 in year three. That'd be awesome. But, I mean, Charlie could never get there, and Tom could never get there in, in multiple years. And then Washington wins 11 in year one. They obviously beat Texas in the Alamo Bowl, and now they're a top-five team in the country. They're undefeated with a shot to make the CFP in year two. Like, that 
that's good coaching right there. And damn, it's hard not to be a little jealous if you're a Texas fan watching something like that happen somewhere else. Yeah, I, I think if you're a Texas fan, you're looking at one of the you know the coach the the elite coaches right now in college football. And it remains to be seen if he's an elite coach, but he's got an elite team this year. The Texas climb under Sark is pretty similar to what Mike Norvell's done at Florida State. Huh. You know, where dude after after Jimbo, the end of Jimbo, and dude, I said it earlier, like. Florida State people were trying to tell AM, like, man, I don't think you're hiring the guy that you think you're hiring because look at what, look at how quickly it fell off in Tallahassee. And then you had the Willie Taggart disaster. Oh. And then you hire Mike Norvell. So you still had, you still had some bottom to hit before you could bounce up. But dude, Mike Norvell's got Florida State where in my lifetime, BK, in my football consciousness, this is where I expect Florida State to be. Yeah. And so it's got Texas where you expect them to be. It's just you had to, man, you had to go through that 12 day period of, you know, getting blown out names and Bo Davis cussing the people on a bus and a monkey allegedly biting a kid or whatever and <laughs> losing to Kansas. Like sometimes stuff like that, sometimes primates have to get out of control, BK, for you to hit rock bottom God. and bounce your way back up as a program. Yep. And and we had that happen a couple of times. Well, only one primate incident, I think, <laughs> but a few, hopefully none of those. Going yeah. Forward. A few rock bottoms, at least what felt like rock bottoms, but yeah, here we are now. It's uh it's a good feeling, man. It is a a good feeling. You got a boogie? Yeah, but you know what? It's gonna be awesome watching the CFP rankings get unveiled tonight between mm -hmm. the Champions Classic, which by the way, I know you're all over the Champions Classic, right? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it is it is it Sparty for Kansas this year? I forget. What's no, that? it's uh it's Duke Michigan State. That's the first game. Oh, you it's the the Jayhawks get the Kentucky leg of that this year. Yeah, and it's KU versus UK as your uh your night game. And obviously in between there you've got the unveiling of the CFP rankings, which does any does anyone care? Is it gonna be the same top seven for the third straight hey, man, week? I, as, I just like seeing Texas in that top 10 and knowing that it matters at this oh, point. You know? I mean, I, I really want to see Texas in the top six. Of course, I want to see them in the top four at the end of the year, but like that that first page, you know, because they do the countdown from 25 to 7, and then they've got the separate graphic for one through six. We've never been there. No. Nope. We've never been in that shit. All I want to do is be in there. And I know we won't tonight because nobody ahead of Texas lost. Right. And Texas didn't play all that well. There's no way the Longhorns are jumping anybody after the Fort Worth win. But, uh, yeah, like one of these days, I just I want to see Texas in there, and hopefully it happens this By year. By the way, we started talking about Art Bryles and, you know, morals in college football and, you know, winning winning the right way. What better game to showcase the morals and the virtues and the values of college athletics than – Bill Self going head-to-head -head with John Calipari tonight. I don't know what you're talking about. Well, Calipari's a cheater, but Bill Self has done everything the right way. From, from on, that, on that note. <laughs> <laughs> no evidence. He's clean. Uh, see, I'll see everybody. Hey, just remember, it's only an hour. I'll be back at 11 tomorrow. Looking forward to it. You're the man, Jeff. Thanks for see sticking around. All right, there he goes. Jeff Howe, horns 24-7. Now you people are stuck with me for the next 40 minutes or so. Chip and Zay, of course, coming your way from 1 to 3. And then Kevin Dunn will be with C.J. Vogel from the Football Brainiacs this afternoon from 3 to 5. So keep it locked in right here to Texas Sports Unfiltered all day long. Please like this video if you're watching on YouTube and you haven't yet. Please subscribe to this channel if you haven't yet. And, uh, of course, if you're listening on the app, be sure to hit us up on the CODA text line 512 222 Nine three two 
8. If you've got comments, if you've got questions, I am here for you. Uh, going to get into the Inside Texas report from earlier today. They reported that uh, Quinn Ewers is very likely to return to Texas for at least one more season. I think a lot of Longhorn fans assumed that uh, Quinn Ewers was going to be here at Texas for one more year, then off to the NFL after this season concluded. But uh, some reports and one out there from inside Texas saying there's a 90% chance that Ewers will return for the Longhorns in 2024. So we'll talk about that. Obviously, we'd love to get y'all's thoughts on that news. Nothing official yet from Quinn Ewers, nothing official yet from the University of Texas. If I'm being perfectly honest, I don't think a decision has been made just yet. But obviously, some insiders starting to drop some breadcrumbs about what could be happening with Quinn Ewers once we get to the offseason. Uh, Columbus says, who's better at game management, James Franklin or Steve Sarkeesian? Uh, it's Sark. It's got to be Sark, right? Like Steve Sarkeesian went into Tuscaloosa and beat Alabama. James Franklin never beats good teams. And he's got one win against the top five team in his coaching career. I think he's like one in 11 against top five teams in his coaching career. Most of those games have come against Michigan and Ohio State, and he just can't beat either of them. And he had chances this year. A lot of people thought this was Penn State's best chance to win the Big Ten, to beat Ohio State, and to beat Michigan. And hell, he got to play Michigan without Jim Harbaugh at home last weekend and couldn't get it done. So, uh, look, Sark's not the best game management coach in the world. I think we know that. But I would take him over James Franklin any day of the week. Uh, Daryl with a good question. Yeah, where does Murphy transfer if yours returns? I mean, you, you have to assume that if Quinn does come back, somebody is leaving the Texas quarterback room. And I don't think it's going to be Arch. Um, and hell, even if Quinn was leaving for the NFL after this year, I would have felt like there was a good chance Malik Murphy was going to transfer either in the offseason or at the end of spring football, right? I, I kind of assumed, maybe foolishly, and maybe we'll never know. But my thought process has always been, like, if Quinn Ewers is gone after this year, then Arch Manning is going to be the guy who starts next year. And Malik would obviously love to keep him around here as a backup. But Malik would probably transfer. We know he got interest last year in the offseason, obviously after the spring game and all of the spring performances that he had. Uh, there were a number of teams, including high major teams from around the country, who were reaching out to Malik's people to see if they could get him to enter the transfer portal. Ultimately, Malik decided to stay at Texas, and we're thankful for that. I mean, if Texas does go on to win the Big 12, uh, you got to give some love to Malik Murphy. Was he great in either of the two games that he started? No. But did Texas win the two games that he started? Yeah. And you won't be able to tell the story of 2023 Texas football without talking about what Malik Murphy did against BYU and against Kansas State. So uh, he's meant a lot to this program and would love to have him stick around. But uh, yeah, no, if Quinn Ewers is back, for sure, one of those guys transfers. Um, and if Quinn Ewers leaves, I, I guess there would still be a chance that one of those guys decides to leave. Where does he go? I don't know. I don't know if Malik Murphy's stock is higher or lower than it was coming out of the spring, right? Like there might be some teams. I think Florida was a team that was rumored to have been interested in Malik Murphy after the spring. I, I don't know if Florida is more or less interested in Murphy now after the two games he played for Texas. You know, uh, there will be some teams who need a quarterback. Hell, there are teams that I'm sure would love Malik Murphy right now. If there was some sort of in-season transfer portal, there's some teams who would love to trade their guy for Malik. But uh, obviously, that's not possible. He's going to get some looks from somewhere. 
I don't know what his stock is once again, but uh, there will be a Power 5 school. Hell, there will be multiple Power 5 schools who I think offer Malik Murphy if he decides to enter the portal. Obviously, if Arch decides to enter the portal, you know, a number of teams are going to come after him. But I, I feel like Arch is in this thing for the long haul. Um, I don't know if he anticipated waiting two years. We know he and his family were cool with him waiting one year. Hell, he, they preferred for Arch to not play this year. Uh, we'll see if they're okay with him potentially sitting on the bench for two seasons before finally getting the opportunity to play. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're Texas, you absolutely take Quinn Ewers back, right? You have to. I mean, Quinn Ewers is a very, very good college quarterback. He's not Vince Young. He's not Colt McCoy. Uh, you know, and he's not Caleb Williams or Michael Penix Jr. If you want to use more present day comparisons, but he's still very good. If he comes back next year, it'll be his third year as the starter. And to have a three-year returning starter going into the SEC, that's very ideal if you're Texas. He knows the offense. He knows the system. Uh, and he's won a number of games for the University of Texas. And he's clearly better this year than he was last year. So you'd like to think with another offseason here in Austin, he'd be even better in 2024 than he is in 2023. So, uh, yeah, I would absolutely love Quinn Ewers to come back. Reasons to believe that he will. You know, this is a loaded quarterback draft class, right? There, there are a lot of good quarterbacks coming out of college going into the 2024 NFL draft, and uh, it's competitive. And with the year Quinn Ewers has had and the fact that he's been injured a couple of times over the course of his college career, I don't know if he's a first-round pick right now. Matter of fact, I don't think he would be a first-round pick. Now, hey, things could change, and here's why I don't think Quinn Ewers has made up his mind just yet. If Quinn Ewers, you know, balls out over the next five games – and I say five because, well, Texas could be playing five. Two more in the regular season, a Big 12 championship, and two playoff games. That's obviously best-case scenario, but there's an opportunity for Quinn to play five more games this season. If he plays extremely well and Texas wins at least four of those games, then, yeah, he might re-enter the conversation as a first-round pick in April. But... As of this very moment, on November 14th, at about 12.28 p.m. Central Time, uh, Quinn Ewers is not a first-round pick. So come back for another year, bolster your draft status, then you become a first-round pick in the, uh, the 2025 draft. That's where Quinn probably should be leaning right now. I don't know exactly where he is, but once again, there's no way, there's no way a final decision has been made with Quinn Ewers at this point. It would be it would be silly. And yeah, I agree with you, CB. I mean, Texas could be a preseason top five or top 10 team if Quinn Ewers does return. A lot of the offensive line will be back next year as well. You would think Jonathan Brooks is now coming back as well. Got some receivers to replace, of course. Yeah, Xavier Worthy's probably gone. Adonai Mitchell's probably gone. Jordan Whittington's gone. You've got some guys to replace. You're going to lose some talent on defense, of course. Happens every year. Uh, but man, you get a, a third-year quarterback and you get uh, the offensive line and a lot of other really talented players for this Texas team coming back. And with the way Steve Sarkeesian has been able to recruit these last couple of years, yeah, the Longhorns would uh, would very much be in the mix to be a preseason top five or top 10 team at minimum going into, uh, into 2024. But yeah, it would absolutely take... Uh, Quinn and look coming in next year you've got Ryan Wingo hopefully Jontae Cook sticks around hopefully he actually gets to play next season as well maybe Texas hits the transfer portal for a receiver I've seen a couple of folks talk about Evan Stewart right the super talented wide out the former five star who's at AM right now yeah oh man you know you know 
coaches from all over the country are reaching out to A&M players, or at least they're having their people reach out to the people of these A&M players to try to get some of those Aggies to enter the portal, right? Because and Jimbo, for all of his flaws, he did recruit very, very well. Uh, the reasons why? Well, NIL, I'm sure, helps with that. But uh, Jimbo was able to bring in a ton of talent. And recruiting was not the issue in Aggieland. So there is a lot of talent on that current AM roster that other schools would love to poach. Love to poach. Yeah, Texas can go get Evan Stewart. My God, that would be that would be incredible. That would be absolutely incredible. But I'm sure there are a couple of other wide receivers in the portal that uh, Texas will be looking out for. Uh, maybe Isaiah Nao. <laughs> nah, Isaiah Naor is not going to play. Why would, why would we assume that that guy's going to play for Texas? Come on, man. I was really excited about Isaiah Naor this season, too. That was foolish of me. And I wonder what he would have been last year if he didn't get hurt. And, you know, maybe he's still dealing with some of the after effects from the injury he suffered last fall during camp. And that might not be why. That might be why he's not playing that much uh, at the University of Texas, but they'll, uh, they'll figure some things out. Um, all right, guys, we'll keep your thoughts or keep your thoughts coming. 512-222-9328. A couple of y'all asking where Trey is. Trey is in Vegas right now. He's out for the next few days. Um, he is, I know, cashing that Rangers ticket at some point while he's out there and uh, he's out there for a birthday party, I think. So he'll be gone for the next few days. He'll be back with us on Friday and uh, we'll have some co-hosts. I won't go solo all three of these next few days, but got a lot of moving parts right now. So figured I'd, uh, I'd hold it down. Obviously Jeff was nice enough to hang with me for the first 20 minutes today. And uh, we'll have some other folks chiming in throughout the course of the week, but Hey, ask me anything, whatever you guys want to talk about right now texas football related cowboys texans texas basketball shoot whatever you guys have i'm here for y'all and i keep thinking about uh i don't think i brought this up yesterday i was meaning to bring this up with bucky and i didn't then i was meaning to bring it up with rodney and i didn't and then i was meaning to bring it up with trey and i didn't um i i was amazed like i i'm kind of amazed with this fan base some texas fans crack me up and obviously everybody's not like this uh maybe some of you are like this maybe None of you are like this, but I got four different texts from four different people over the weekend asking me if I thought Steve Sarkeesian was the right guy at Texas. Four different people either asked me if Sark was the right guy or basically indicated that they did not believe that Sark was the right guy at Texas. And I just, I, I can't believe how many people are unhappy with this team right now. Like, I feel like I need to remind people that Texas is having its best season since 2009. This team is nine and one. They're in sole possession of first place in the big 12. They're still in the college football playoff hunt. They control their own destiny to win the conference title for the first time since 2009. Like anybody out there that wouldn't have signed up for this at the start of the season. Seriously, is there any single person who would not have signed up for these first 10 games if you're a Texas fan? I mean, of course, you'd rather be 10-0 than 9-1, but come on, 9-1? First place in the conference, still in the playoff mix, recruiting at a high level. Like, I, I can't figure out why so many people are so mad. 2009! 2000, think about what you were doing in 2009. Think about how long it's been since then. 
was 15 years old. I couldn't drive a car the last time Texas was this good at football. You're allowed to be critical. Don't get me wrong. I'm critical. We're all critical. It's part of the gig. It's part of what we do. But my God, like this thing, how quickly have we forgotten about the last 13 years when people are asking if the coach knows what he's doing, when you're having your best year in 14 years, when you're in the playoff mix, when you're the favorites to win your conference championship, when you're top 10 in the country, when you're recruiting top 10 classes year in and year out. Like I had someone text me that they were done with Sark after Saturday. Done? Done? Look at what's happening at Texas A&M right now. You could be them. Hell, we have been them. I couldn't believe some of the stuff I was hearing and some of the stuff I've been seeing on social media over the last few days. Like, of course, I would have rather have won 26 to 6 instead of 29 to 26. Like, I'm frustrated by the fact that Texas has blown three 20-point leads in the second half of games here in the second half of the season. But, hey, Texas is 3-0. and in those games and they're nine and one on the season. Like how quick are we to forget what, what has gone on around here for such a long time and already given up on Sark, man. Like, do I think Sark is one of the best coaches in college football right now? No, but do I think he knows what he's doing? Yeah. Do I think he deserves some credit for the way this team has played? Absolutely. Do I think he deserves credit for the culture that we saw? Everybody's talking about culture play, right? The, the Jordan Whittington Xavier worthy play where you were through the interception and then Whittington and Worthy who are 40 yards down the field came back and made a play. Whittington forces the fumble. Xavier Worthy recovers the fumble. Like I think Sark deserves credit for that. He deserves credit for the way this roster has been built. He deserves credit for the way Texas has been recruiting both high school kids and in the portal. Like I, I, He knows what he's doing, man. This guy has done a tremendous, tremendous job. Is he perfect? No. Is this Texas program perfect? No but they are clearly in a better spot than they've been in a long time. And they are clearly taking steps in the right direction. You might not think this is a top four team in college football right now. Well, the fact that we're even having conversations about whether or not they are is pretty damn cool for me, at least. Once again, I was in high school. I couldn't drink. I couldn't drive. I couldn't vote. Couldn't smoke. Couldn't do shit. The last time I got to have these types of conversations about Texas football. So yeah, I'm i uh, I'm pretty okay with where this thing is, man. I feel great. This was such a big year for Texas for so many different reasons. People keep asking me, and I'm sure people ask all of you, if you're a Texas fan, you heard it in the offseason, you heard it last year, you've heard it for a while. Are, are, are you worried about Texas going to the SEC? How many times have y'all been asked that question? I've been asked a million times. My answer to that right now is no. Like once Texas, I felt pretty good about things once Texas played Alabama last year at DKR, even though Texas lost that game. It's like, okay. Like, that's, that's Alabama. They've been the creme de la creme in college football for a decade and a half now. And, hey, we just hung with them. We're not there yet. Fine. We're, we're getting close. If we can hang with them, then we've got a shot to hang with some SEC teams. I felt okay about things last year. But this year? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an obvious yes. How do you feel about going to the SEC? Yeah, I feel great. We just went on the road and beat Alabama by double digits. Nobody's done that in 20 years. Nobody's beaten a Nick Saban team by double digits in his house in 20 years. You got to go back to when he was coaching at LSU the last time that happened. Do I feel good about this? Yeah. So this was such a big year for Texas. 
to just prove to people, and I think prove to itself, right? The guys in the locker room, I think, needed to have it proven to them. Uh, and obviously this fan base, I think, needed to have it proven to them. And uh, folks around the college football landscape needed to see it as well. This was a big year for Texas to prove that they were ready to make the move to the best conference in the sport. And, well, Texas being 9-1, and one, ranked in the top 10, and having a win over a team that's been the best team in the SEC for 15 years now. I know George has caught him, but... Obviously, Alabama's been doing it longer, and they're still really, really good this season. I'm super confident about this move to the SEC. I felt great about every other sport, pretty much every other sport that Texas had before this football season. I had some uh, some optimism with Texas football, just hoping Sark would be able to turn things around. But now that we've actually seen it with this team this year, uh, yeah, bring it on, man. Bring it on. I'm excited for, uh, for next year. Obviously, excited for this year. This year's far from over. Uh, it'd be nice to win these last two games, win the Big 12 championship, and be in the college football playoff. I don't want to be focused too much on 2024 and beyond because there's still some fish to fry here in 2023. But, man, I I feel great about Steve Sarkeesian and, and where this program is right now and also where I think it's headed moving forward. So seven wins Sark, no mas. No mas. That guy has evolved and developed as a coach. Once again, he's not perfect. None of us are. He will get better. We'll all get better, and this team will get better. But, uh, man, think of where we were in Charlie Strong's third year. Think of where we were in Tom Herman's third year. And now think of where we are right now in Steve Sarkeesian's third year. There's a difference between a guy who knows what he's doing and a guy and two guys who are in over their head here at the University of Texas. So there's my, uh, there's my random soapbox right there. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Uh, you know, you don't blow 20-point leads when you don't lose the game, Columbus. I think that's important to to note. Texas won all three of those games. So, uh, yeah, I don't love blowing 20 or losing 20-point leads, but I do love winning. Uh, Texas was 3-8 and eight against TCU since TCU joined the Big 12. I'll take a win over them. Uh, Kansas State was a thorn in Texas's side for a long time. They're a top 25 team. They're really good. I'll take a win over them in overtime. With the backup quarterback, that's pretty good. Um, Went over Houston. That one not as exciting. But, hey, Texas found a way to win that game at Houston. So, yeah, I'm cool with with where Texas is right now. Hopefully you are too. Columbus, uh, looking at your comments, it seems like you are one of those people who would have been texting me over the weekend if you had my number wondering if Steve Sarkeesian is the head coach. And, hey, that's you're entitled to your opinion. You're very much entitled to your opinion. Uh, but I just, uh, I, I think of where this Texas team has been through most of my adult life and I, I'm just pretty freaking happy. You guys know how hard it is for me to be happy. I'm usually one of the more negative slash pessimistic people out there. And, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good about where, where this Texas team is right now. So, all right. Jake says some of this defensive coaching staff needs to be evaluated. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how these last few games shake out. Um, now, the secondary, I think, is the biggest weakness for Texas. I think most Longhorn fans would agree with me there, regardless of how you feel about Steve Sarkeesian and the state of this Texas program. 
think you probably are with me and thinking that the secondary has left a lot to be desired this season. Uh, Terry Joseph and Blake Gideon, those are your two secondary coaches right now. You know, they deserve some credit for Texas being nine and one too, but uh, this secondary has has not been consistently great. They've obviously dealt with some injuries, but still there's there's too much talent, there's too much experience back there for this group to be having the same issues pop up over and over again. Uh, and for PK, like I, I, I was critical of PK for this yesterday, and I think you can be too. Like most defensive coordinators would do what PK did on Saturday once Texas jumped out to that 26 to 6 halftime lead. They would drop extra guys in coverage to try to avoid giving up big plays, right? You try to keep TCU in front of you. Uh, you feel like, hey, we've got a big enough lead. We can kind of play a little prevent style defense. We don't need to be as aggressive up front. And we should be able to do enough on the back end to make sure that this lead doesn't slip away. Most coaches think like that. And most teams are able to do that. But because Texas is secondary, whether it's coaching or talent or a combination of both, it probably is a combination of both. Texas doesn't have that luxury right now. Like they've got to be aggressive on defense for all four quarters because if they drop extra guys in coverage, that means the opposing quarterback has more time to throw the football. And that's bad news for this Longhorn defense right now. A common sense tells you if you want to cover better, put more guys in coverage. That, that ain't applying for Texas right now. If this Texas team wants to be better in the secondary, they've got to bring more blitzers to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They were doing that in the first half against Josh Hoover. He threw for less than 100 yards. He threw that awful interception in the second quarter right before halftime, and TCU's offense scored six points. They didn't get into the end zone. Texas played more of a prevent-style defense, not that they were you know, doing the prevent play you see in Madden or NCAA football where everybody was just 50 yards down the field in some deep zone, but they just weren't nearly as aggressive. And credit TCU, like they did a good job holding up against Texas's four-man front. The Longhorns have been able to get a lot of pressure by just rushing four this season. Uh, TCU, for a large part of the second half, did a good job of preventing Texas's defensive line from getting after the quarterback. And they were able to make some plays down the field. But yeah, for Texas, you've got to be aggressive, man. People are tired of the all-gas, no-breaks bit. For PK, that might not be bad advice for this defense. You have got to do things to mitigate your weakness in the secondary. And the best way to do that, I think, is to uh, just bring more pressure. Bring more pressure. As simple as that. It's a scary thought, right? Because obviously you bring more blitzers. You're taking guys out of the secondary. And once again, common sense. Uh, get that Thomas Payne guy out here to talk about that one. Uh, that might not always make sense, but for this Texas defense, that's what works. That's what's been working for this team. So, yeah, secondary staff, if any position coaches are getting evaluated or need to be evaluated in this offseason, it's probably them. But once again, we'll we'll see how uh, this season shakes out. Texas makes the playoff this year, guys. I, I don't know if anyone is losing their job on the coaching staff, whether you like it or not. Maybe somebody leaves for a better gig. Uh, maybe PK gets head coaching opportunities. Maybe Kyle Flood gets head coaching opportunities or an opportunity to where he can actually call plays as an offensive coordinator. Maybe a position coach gets the chance to be a coordinator. Who knows? Like there, there could obviously be some turnover on the Texas coaching staff, but man, if Texas wins the next three games and makes it to the playoff, even if they don't make it to the playoff, if they win these next three games and win the big 12 championship and they're sitting at 12 and one going into bowl season, uh, I, I have a tough time thinking someone's getting fired. You can be critical of Sark for that, but that's uh, that's just kind of my prediction right now. Not that I think that's that bold of a prediction.
think that that will go down. And Texas has won nine games. Yeah, yeah, since 2010, Texas has only won nine games three times. Yeah, and four losses in each of those previous times. If Texas ends the year with four losses, then, then my tone on Steve Sarkeesian might change. <laughs> if Texas ends this year with four L's, well, that would be two straight here. Then you don't make the Big 12 championship game. Then you lose your bowl game and end the year nine and four. Yeah, now that's uh, then you guys can call me out for being overly optimistic and positive about Steve Sarkeesian. I'll, I'll eat my words and I'll question myself and question uh, what's going on with this Texas football program if, God forbid, that happens. But uh, I don't think anybody expects something like that to happen. Uh, Bomb City Blue Jay, appreciate you stopping by today. Am I pessimistic or is there no way we get into the playoffs? Yeah, Kirk Herbstreet, let me see if I can find this. I'll filibuster as I try to uh, screen share Herbie's tweet from either yesterday or Sunday. But he had this hypothetical for the college football playoff. And, you know, un unfortunately, teams ranked ahead of Texas are just not losing right now. And you still have two weeks left of the regular season, and then you have conference championship weekend. So uh, a lot of chaos could still be coming our way, but it's it's not happening right now, and it's a little frustrating. Like you would hope, hey, Texas just keeps winning. Okay, some of the teams ranked ahead of Texas will start to lose, and then Texas will move up in the rankings. Well, it's not happening. I mean, Texas was ranked number seven in the CFP two weeks ago. They were ranked number seven in the CFP rankings last week. And my guess is they will still be number seven tonight uh, when the new CFP rankings come out. Why can I not find this, Herbie? God, that guy tweets a lot. Oh, it wasn't Herbie. That's that's why I'm not able to find it. It's uh, Joel Klatt, another big-time college football analyst. Here we go. Let me pull up the share screen here on, uh, on x.com. So here's this hypothetical. I'd love to get y'all's thoughts on this one, too. Let me minimize the comment here. Hypothetical college football playoff scenario. You've got a 13-0 Big Ten champ, so either Ohio State or Michigan. You've got Florida State at 13-0. And you'd have two spots for the following. 12-1 Oregon, if they win the Pac-12. 12-1 Texas, if they win the Big 12. 12-1 Alabama, if they win the SEC. 12-1 Georgia, if they lose to Alabama in the SEC title game. 12-1 Washington, if they lose to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game. Like, this is a scenario that could actually happen, and this is madness. Now, I think Texas gets in in this scenario. Like, the win over Alabama carries a lot of weight, and it should carry a lot of weight. And I know people out there are saying, oh, if the two teams rematched, Alabama would probably that hogwash. Doesn't matter, shouldn't matter, can't matter when you're comparing resumes. That's stupid. That's why we like college football so much. Every week matters. You get one mulligan in this sport. Once the 12-team playoff gets here, you might get two. But right now, you get one mulligan in this sport. You don't get a second one. That's it. Every game matters. And Texas beating Alabama in their house, not by some fluke BS, but by 10 points and in relatively dominant fashion. Uh, Texas is going to get in in this scenario. But, man, I mean, I, I don't, you know, does, does Alabama get in? Does Oregon get in? You, you can't put Georgia in, can you? Even though they obviously won the last two national championships and their only loss would be to a top 10 Alabama team on a neutral field. Like that's, yeah, it's, it's incredible. So this is what we're looking at right now because we haven't had a ton of madness in college football in recent weeks. 
all sorts of these types of scenarios exist to where like, yeah, resumes matter a lot. So yeah, in this situation, I think Texas would get in. Uh, but I understand, I mean, bomb, bomb city, you're looking at all of these teams around the country right now, like Texas is number seven. So they've got to, uh, they've got to jump three of the teams that are ahead of them to get into the top four. And two of those teams haven't lost a game yet, right? Like Texas fans a little mad that Oregon's ranked ahead of Texas. And that's fair. I think you have every right to be mad about that, but it's not only us having to jump Oregon. We've got to hope that Washington loses. Got to hope that Florida state loses or Georgia loses. Obviously one of Ohio state or Michigan will lose because they play each other next weekend. We know that, but uh, yeah, you need, you need some madness, man. You need some madness. So I think it will happen. I think some of these teams will lose like Oregon state. You got to be a Beaver fan, man. You got to be a Beaver fan. Uh, because Oregon State plays host to Washington this week, and then they play at Oregon next week. If if they win both of those games, like Oregon State already has two losses, so you don't have to worry about them in the playoff. Uh, but if they win both of those games, obviously if they win one, great news. If they take both, Pac-12's done. You ain't got to worry about them anymore. So we're all beavers. We're all beavers here. Uh, if Texas wins were by 20, they'd be higher. They'd be one spot higher. They'd be they'd be ranked ahead of Oregon. They wouldn't be ahead of any of the undefeated teams. So all of this misery that Texas has apparently put us through this year uh, has cost Texas one spot. That's that's where we're at right now. Now, style points matter. I'm not arguing against that. Style points definitely matter. And I would rather win these games by 20 because that would look better on a resume, of course. But they, I'm just letting you know right now, Daryl, they would not be higher than number six, even if they had won all these games by 40 because they've got a loss and none of the top five have a loss. That's where we're at right now. So uh, root for chaos, man. Root for chaos. Chaos is always fun. You don't want it happening to your team. You hope Texas keeps winning the games that they're expected to win. And even though Jonathan Brooks is out for the rest of the year, uh, the Longhorns are going to be favored in their three remaining games. You know, two on the schedule right now, and hopefully the Big 12 championship. Like, Texas will be fa- There's Texas could play OU again. And even though we all unfortunately remember what happened in Dallas a month ago, Texas would be favored in a rematch against Oklahoma. I truly believe that. And we know Texas is favored against Iowa State. We know Texas will be favored against Texas Tech. And, yeah, there's, there's no opponent that Texas could run into at AT&T Stadium on December 2nd that would be favored ahead of Texas. So, hey. Give me the madness. Give me the wildness, the craziness, the chaos, whatever you want to call it, outside of Texas, please. We'll uh, just just keep taking care of business here. Just keep taking care of business here. Yeah, as Jake says, style points sure as hell didn't matter for TCU last year. Now, there was uh, more chaos this year. If if we get the chaos we want, style points won't matter. If these teams ranked ahead of Texas start losing, then it won't make a difference that Texas is winning these games by three and not 17 to 20. Um, right now that's, it's still a conversation worth having, uh, worth having, having, what the hell is having? It's not a word. That's not a word. I'm sick. I feel like crap. I got to take something after this, probably a nap. Also the water in my apartment complex is turned down, uh, turned down, turned off. They sent an email last night saying the water is going to be off from 10 to 11. At 11.30, the water was still not on, and I got an email saying, oh, it's going to be a few more hours until the water comes on. So that's exciting. 
have to, uh, if nature calls, I might have to call nature and go outside. But that's a mess right now. That's that's the last thing I need. All right, what else do you guys have? Chip and Zay, of course, coming up from one to three. Let's hear from Sark. This kind of ties into what we've been talking about here. Steve Sarkeesian, I think this was the last question of his Monday presser. He was basically asked about just what's at stake for Texas and kind of the opportunity that the Longhorns have being right here in the thick of things in the Big 12 race with just two weeks left in the regular season. What an awesome time. You know, this is this is the fun part, right? Yeah, to be in to be in the middle of November and be in a championship race. Um, I think that our guys have have handled it well up until this point. Like I said, we've been walking into you know road stadiums and understanding the environments are hostile as as anything, and we, we still have this on our chest. It's still our last year in the Big Twelve. We understand all that, but now there's championship game implications, uh, and I think that our players have really responded to it. And we show great poise, great composure. But it's this is exciting. You know, this is why we get to do what we do to to be chasing a chasing a championship. And um, I know that our that our players are looking forward to another opportunity Saturday night. It's exciting, man. It really is. There have been so many years since 2009 where Texas has been nowhere close to the Big 12 championship conversation. And hell, there have been years where like we're two or three games into Big 12 play and Texas is already out of the mix. Now we've got two games left and Texas is in sole possession of first place in the Big 12 and they control their own destiny to uh, win this conference on the way out. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. They've got work to do. Neither of these last two games are going to be easy, especially without Jonathan Brooks. Ames has been uh, a problem place for the Longhorns in recent years. Hell, Iowa State's been a thorn in Texas's side. The Longhorns have lost three of their last four games against Iowa State. Last year was the only win. Texas was a 16-point favorite here in Austin, and the Longhorns had to hold on for dear life to win by three. And if Xavier Hutchinson, who's now with the Houston Texans, was able to haul in a pass deep down the middle of the field in the final minute, then Iowa State at worst kicks a field goal, or at least they have the opportunity to kick a field goal to force overtime. Maybe they score a touchdown there and win the game in regulation. Iowa State's been a problem. Matt Campbell's had Texas' his number. That game's in Ames. It's at night. Not going to be easy. Texas Tech's playing a little bit better as of late. They beat Kansas. Kansas had its third-string quarterback. Go ahead and brag about, man, what a world we live in where people can brag about beating Kansas's third-string quarterback. But uh, Kansas is pretty good this year, I guess. Uh, Tech's playing a little bit better. In recent weeks, they've got Baron Morton back. They had that kid, Jake Strong, their third-string quarterback, start for a few weeks, and he uh, was awful. It was in way over his head. If you thought Malik Murphy had struggles, go back and watch what uh, Jake Strong did. My God. Uh, Tech's got Baron Morton back, a guy who started some games for them last year, a guy who started some games for them this year. So, uh, yeah, like that's a rivalry game, and Tech's going to want to beat Texas. Of course they are. Not going to be easy, but... It's cool to be in this spot, man. It is cool to be in this spot. I'm stopping and smelling the roses. Maybe I'm allowed to be a little complacent from time to time. Hopefully the players and coaches aren't doing a whole lot of rose smelling right now, but I'm just thinking of uh, how much my life has changed since 2009 and what I've gone through as a Texas football fan and student for a few of those years. And uh, it's just nice. I've never, like, never gotten to cover a good team like this, and it's kind of cool getting to cover a good team like this. And, hey, Texas Sports Unfiltered, is it a coincidence that the Longhorns are having their best year in 15 years in the first year of Texas Sports Unfiltered's existence? 
I don't know. Should you guys be thanking us? Maybe you should. Maybe we deserve credit for what's going on with Texas. Kidding. TJ says, my balls just dropped the last time. Now they, they still haven't, so sorry about that. Sorry about that one, DJ. Uh, some love to some sponsors real quick. Got to mention our friends at Covert Bee Cave. Bucky and I will be doing our pregame show this Saturday for Texas and Iowa State. If you're looking for a newer pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, you got to go see our friends at Covert Bee Cave. They've got an unparalleled selection of vehicles out there. The best service that you're going to find and the best prices anywhere. Nobody beats a covert deal. Not now, not ever. They say that because they mean that. Selection, service, prices, they've got it all. That's what you want when you're buying a car. They give you the best car buying experience that you could possibly find out there at Covert Bee Cave. Go see them and tell them you heard about them right here on Texas Sports Unfiltered. Shout out to them. Shout out to Olipop. I need me some of that. Maybe that will make me start to feel better. Olipop, great tasting soda that's actually good for you. Chip talks about it all the time. Trey's in. Bucky's in. I'm in. Wags is If you're not in, you're missing out. Olipop is a game changer. Once again, soda that tastes like soda, but is actually good for you too. And they found a way to make it happen. And speaking of stuff that tastes great, Altstad beer. That's the only beer that I drink nowadays. Get you some HEB Specs, Twin Liquors, Total Wine. Wherever you buy your beer, make sure you're finding Altstad beer. We got to give a shout out. I totally forgot about where we at in society today. No Trey today. He's the guy who usually keeps us in line, which is a scary thought. Hell, actually, I don't, I don't think either of us really keep anything in line when we're on the show together. But here is uh, a word from our friends at Pest Wranglers. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? I'm making a silly commercial like other companies so people will remember our name. But we're not like other companies. Anyone could see that from our five-star reviews. But how will people remember Pest Wranglers? Well, once they try us, they'll never forget that we are the most effective, reliable, and affordable pest control company. I guess you're right. Pest Wranglers is the best at pest control, wildlife management, termite pest control. Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers, Pest Wranglers. What are you doing? Hey, it couldn't hurt. Pest Wranglers, 512-670-7808 or 5 Find us on the web at pestwranglers.com. You got to talk to Sark. I think I had myself muted. Sorry about that, guys. You guys can't read lips? What's your problem? You don't have that figured out by now? We should be back by now. My bad. Turned myself off during the spot. I'm glad you guys are paying attention. Zay's here. What's up, Zay? What's good, my guy? How you doing? Uh, I was doing well until I just was talking to myself for the last minute and a half. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, man. I'm good. Just living. First in the fantasy league. Got that first week by, you know what I'm saying? Clinch the division. Feeling good, man. Wow. Good. When do the That's playoffs fun. start? Next week? No, like three weeks. So I might rest my players. That's how good I'm feeling. Did <laughs> <laughs> anyone do that in fantasy football? Like, no, man. That'd be so oh. Bush League. That'd be yeah. so whack. You got yeah, because I guess the league. other teams will start, you know, beating you, and that will affect playoffs. I don't know, man. If I'm you, I'm taking bribes. Like, hey, you want me to rest my players so you can get into the playoffs? Then I'm open for business. You know. Yeah, man. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, I've been doing some serious waiver wire grinding. Picked up Noah Brown last week. He gave me 22 points or CJ Stroud put it on the show. And yeah, man, I don't know. Nine and one. And I'm glad I lost that one game because I went in undefeated. I, you know, just my luck. I'd lose first round and shit. So the fact that I know I can be beat psychologically, that feels like I you know, have some sort of 
I don't know, advantage, if that makes any sense. It doesn't, but I don't mm. give a damn. We're in the playoffs, baby. You know, mm. that's all that yeah, I heard uh, when you lost that one game, the 1972 Dolphins popped champagne to celebrate. <laughs> Their undefeated record lasted another year. I think that's how that works, right? Yeah, man. Checks Let's out. Go. Checks out. What's uh, what Tuesday? See, y'all got what? Hummer and Hank today? Yeah. Sounds okay. about right. Uh, Hummer and Hank. <laughs> Mute, the mute is spreading. I, I muted myself a couple of minutes ago, Chip. So it's some sort of disease that has uh, infiltrated us today, I guess. Can you hear me now? Can hear you now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, we're good to go. All right, boys. Well, I'm excited to listen. You guys have a great show. Let's go. Thanks, brother. Let's go.